0: I have a I have a question though. Mm-hmm. So, do you know the differences between the two words, like the two words bear? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Explain. Bear as in
1: bear is an
0: actual. Okay, bear. See, so that did not help. No, bear, no. As bear as in bear is an actual bear.
1: Like bear as the animal, a yeah. bear, and bear as an half something, carry something, bearing arms, bearing, yeah. you know, whatever. And bear naked. Well, so that's yes. Which one is that? Bear naked. That is the second one because you're just you're so sparing in it. Bear. Uh bare naked is B A R E. Yeah. Well, I just bear arms just... is B E A R. Yeah. And so is the animal bear. Yeah. All right. we'll look at your bearings. B E A R I N G S. Yeah. Like ball
0: bearings. Yeah. Is this because <laughs> his name is Bera? Whoa. No. Mind blown up. <laughs> no, it's I saw the the Canucks put out something on their Instagram mm-hmm. and Elias Peterson. Went to a, a family, did a home visit. Okay, two young kids, and he came bearing gifts, and they mm. spelled it B A R I N G. That's wrong. That's correct, actually. Bearing. Yeah. So then I looked it up. That's what got me going on this. B A R. Yeah. So the only time B A R E is used is if you could replace it with naked. Huh. Otherwise, it's an animal bringing gifts. Places. So the animals, the animal bear brings gifts. That would be fun. though. It's crazy. Could you imagine a bear- a bear I, did, I thought I thought it was always the other way. Are, I I did have someone tell us the first first episode of mm-hmm. the Canucks Pod. We had a little English lesson. Yeah, someone appreciated that, so oh, I thought we'd bring it with uh, some animals and it tis the
1: season. Was that top Chevy, of the season to you? Was that Chevy the dog? Chevy the golden? The golden, sorry, the dog might golden. have been, might have been perhaps mm-hmm. smart fan or eh. smart coach. Yeah, no, he's no, what? No, he's a dog. Dog. Yeah. Okay, smart dog.
0: Should we get after it? Let's get after it. Can we can we bear some news
2: on Uh, the pod? This is the Canucks Pod with Satyar Shah and Alex Ald. Welcome to this
1: week's edition of the Canucks Pod, Alex Ald, Satyar Shah, and I wish we were talking about the Canucks being on a roll. It is the exact opposite, and. We were so excited in the month of October. I mean, even heading into November, they were nine, three, and three at one stretch. And since Man, then, we'll, we'll always have October. I know, but since that stretch, which kind of crept into the first few days of November as well, they have gone seven, twelve, and one. And it seems difficult to envision wins because even in games like the one against Montreal, like the one against San Jose, where they outchance the opposition. They couldn't get enough to win those games. So winning right now seems like this impossible task for this Canucks team.
0: Yeah, and, and you look at it and you say, okay, Montreal, they play really well. Carey Price has a game, as he's prone to do, especially here in Vancouver. Um, but it's just like, it seems like game after game, there's there's something. And I don't I don't want to say like an excuse, but there's a reason. And if in all these games, there's all these reasons, and they end up being different ones, and... It it becomes like well what what is this team can can they get the job done now? I'm of the belief that this team is better than a year ago, but I still think we're trying to figure out, as as fans as media, who they are and what to expect on a nightly basis, and and ultimately where they end up finishing. And I, I think the team is still trying to find their identity, what it takes to win every night, what will well how do they have to perform every night to give themselves a chance to win and be successful. Um, I I think if the players are probably going through that. The coaching staff still going through that or, or the coaches probably have a handle on it in terms of the way they want them to play. But what do they have to do to get the players on board each and every night and have the execution be at a higher level right now, the way it stands for me, when I look at this team, I I say they've improved, but if their goaltending isn't great and their top players aren't at the highest level they can play at, then they don't really have a chance to win most nights. You well, always, or you always have the chance of a outlier performance. Um, someone has a really great game, but that isn't a recipe for success. To rely on that greatness, and so they're they're creeping up in terms of improvement, but they aren't quite at the level that we had hoped and we were all optimistic about in that
1: early stretch. Like you said, the early on in the season, they looked they looked glorious. Well, and. You know, it's a tale of two seasons, the first 15 games and the last 20 games, and the sample of the not good is now greater than the good. And that's when things kind of become concerning. That's not good. That's not good. The trend is not positive, but I'll say this. Based on some of the performances lately, and despite some bad ones kind of mixed in there, there is a correction coming. Just like there was a correction coming off their hot start, they weren't going to be on 116, 118-point pace all year. We all knew they weren't going to be that hot. They were going to come back to earth a little bit. Now they've gone so they come down so far that they're underwater, and that's going to come back up again. The question is, will that correction come in time for them to still be relevant in the playoff race? Because I guess one positive is nobody's really running away with the wild card race. There's still a handful of points out. They're not at the stage yet where it looks like, hey, they're 9, 10 points out. They have no chance of coming back. But if you don't win games, eventually you're going to be there. Well,
0: it is it is that that pendulum swing, right? So like you mentioned, and, and you were calling for it early on. There'll, there'll be some correction. They're not going to be able to maintain this point production in terms of the standings. They're not going to be able to maintain this offense through the whole year. Um, and so when you have these those market corrections, you have that swing, the really interesting thing as a fan, someone watching, is where does the team end up settling? Like what is sort of the the mid-range what is the expected outcome expected results on a nightly basis and we're still figuring that out as i said earlier and so where is it going to end up and your the other aspect is are they do they remain close enough that you maintain confidence in the race and and this is something you see from teams at different times through the season where the bad stretch which inevitably will come even for top top teams there are bad stretches now they just tend to be a little bit shorter for the really good teams but there are stretches where they don't play like they want to or they don't pick up the points or whatever it may be if the if that stretch is prolonged if the team doesn't have the experience the chemistry the confidence whatever it is to maintain that that optimism then you, they can get into trouble and and then that's when you see the season spiral away and if that confidence really dips at the same time that the play the level of play of everyone else around you picks up then that can be something that's exponential the wrong way. And you you that's why you see sometimes teams just plummet down the standings late because everyone's ratcheting it up for playoff time and your team's struggling to to find itself and and have their confidence. So that to me it's it's important that they write the ship. And it doesn't mean they have to then all of a sudden go on a 10 game winning streak, but deliver some consistency where okay, like they're in five-game segments, they're consistently over 500 or you know whatever it may be and, and break it down into something attainable because um, that's the way the dressing room should be operating, the small segment sizes, something attainable, looking at small goals because if you look at the whole season and you say, oh, we've got X number of games left and we have to win this percentage, and if you look at something in its totality, it becomes overwhelming. And
1: that that feeling of being overwhelmed is kind of what I worry about. And we've talked about this a lot recently on the pod. And also you were on the program earlier this week talking about when things start slipping away from you, how that snowballs. And once you lose that faith in the system, you lose faith in your teammates. Not to say people turn on each other, but that trust and that confidence goes away. And as soon as you start stop believing in what you're doing, it's so hard to get that back. And that was my biggest concern with this team a few weeks back. And right now, that concern is really high for me because if they don't start getting results, whether they deserve better or not, if you don't get those results, it's really difficult. It's human nature to kind of lose faith in what you're doing, and that's a dangerous spot to be in. Well, you used my words. I was going to say
0: human nature, and then you <laughs> said, it, but it's it's so true, right? It's it's in some ways it's part of evolution. If something doesn't work, you try something different and 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 try to improve upon it. But that doesn't mean you're always right. That is very much experimental, and especially when you're in a team sport environment. You have sort of the direction that is being laid out for you by the coaches. And then you have the players that buy into varying degrees with varying skill sets and varying abilities in terms of how they can accomplish what the, what the goals are. And if you start having people that stray from that, then you you can get into trouble. And, but if you don't have the results and if you aren't confident in what you're doing and you aren't everyone isn't pulling in the same direction, then it becomes, it becomes confusing and it becomes it's sort of, it's, it's fractured, right? So then you have people pulling in all different directions. It's really difficult then to pick up wins and, and accomplish your goals in the highest league in the world. And
1: you know, for this team too, what you worry really a lot about is creating a culture of losing. And I want to talk about two players specifically who are struggling, and they're better than what they've shown, Bo Horvat and Brock Besser. Now, Bo has been here a lot longer than Brock has been, but this is now year three for Brock, the previous two years. He's seen the same story during Christmas, heading into January. Things start slipping away. The game gets tougher. I see him pressing a lot more. Bo has been through all the losing seasons. He was here when they made the playoffs in his rookie year, the past four seasons. He was here. I see both guys pressing a lot. I see them cheating a lot. I see them trying to force things a lot. And Bo also has the added pressure of being the captain. And this is when you start realizing, and this is not necessarily a causality of this, but there's something there to it. When you always lose, eventually you expect to lose. You don't expect things to turn around for you. And that's why as much as you want to go through a rebuild, you have to go through some down years. It's really hard to write the ship and have buy-in from your young guys when they've gone through four, five, six years of losing. It, well, it is. and, and I've, So I've been in... in- Perennial
0: bad organizations, right? Those those organizations you look at and you say, ben, they, they, during a stretch of however many years, they never make the playoffs. Not only that, you also don't believe that there's a chance out because it's it is that it's that cycle of perpetual losing, and so that becomes the expectation, that becomes the mindset, and it's not saying that everyone's going in and being like, yeah, let's go out and lose. It's not that's what they're not what they're hoping for, but hope is probably all they have in terms of. The positive side like we're just hoping we win we don't necessarily know how to get there and that's why the the leadership's important the the quality of individual but also bringing in some proven winners bringing in people who've, who've been there before and I, I believe that that's part of some of the different acquisitions over the past couple of years especially you look at a guy like Jay Beagle to come in and sort of help in that regard but those guys can't do it alone and you can say whatever you want about the, the pro scouting and the free agent signings and everything else. And that will be something that we discuss more and more as this season goes along and into future seasons of the Canucks pod is, is the cap uncertainty that that puts them in or the cap certainty. Cause essentially they're in a tough spot, but some from the, the personality point of view, I understand where they were coming from it along uh, because you need that example. You need that positive environment because at the end of the day, if what you're used to is, like, and Besser is a great example, because in his first couple seasons, what was successful about him, his his personal success, that's what people applauded him for. Oh, you score goals, that's great. You're it's hope, you're the future, all this stuff, and that was the validation. That was him being rewarded with a contract for scoring goals, and it becomes. And I'm selfish in a way. I'm not saying he's a selfish person by any means, but that becomes your mindset a little bit. And so you have to constantly guard against that complacency of being satisfied with just your personal success, because you need more than that. You you need to find a new level. It's not okay to score at the same rate as your first two seasons. You need to find a way to push through that boundary, through that plateau. And, you know, he's, he's a guy who has been streaky in his career at scoring and most goal scorers are, but you want to see an evolution. You want to see him take a step. Not be like okay, this is this is what he is, and that's kind of
1: it. You're right because the mindset is, hey, I'm trying to. I know that, hey, no matter what, the team's not going well. But if I get my 25 to 30 goals, like say Bo was trying to do the past couple years, and I get my 50 points, at least I show I'm producing. If Brock's scoring 30, at least he shows, hey, I can be the winger down the road. I did my job, and now, and I'm not saying they're playing for themselves, but it becomes kind of part of the muscle memory it becomes like okay when times get tough here's this is what i have to do whereas maybe doing things within the system helps the team out more but you're just not used to doing that and also you feel the pressure of okay i have a new bridge contract making almost six million per year as brock besser is and he realizes well i have to score to justify my money bo has to justify his contract and being the captain of the team and sometimes the best thing you can do is do what you can control and help your entire team out instead of looking out for just putting up some numbers to feel better about what you're trying to do yeah and it, it I mean this it, is a hard thing to talk about because
0: it's you know I'm not I'm not sitting here saying like ripping these guys and I, I know it could come across that way and like, we're not saying they're being selfish but it just it's part of the, that evolution as a player and in having been through successes and failures in my career you you it is really hard now to get caught up in the positive when you're doing well you have to understand like what you've done to be successful. You have to understand how to, how that translates and how to take that forward, but not get satisfied by it. And that is, that is a constant trap. Again, it's human nature to, to look for the easy way, look for kind of that, that easy route to avoid friction a little bit. And at the end of the day, to be a really successful professional hockey player, you have to go almost the opposite way and you have to embrace that. And you have to be constantly striving for, for uh, the positive change and for improvement. And that's why, I mean, you know, I I don't want people to think I'm coming out here and just ripping Brock and Bo, but with the captaincy, with the contract, with that type of uh, elevated leadership role and place in the lineup comes some responsibility too, that you're expected to continue to improve. You're expected to continue to produce and ultimately the expectation on on part of the reason everyone was so excited about a guy like Brock Besser was that he was young. So with youth comes this expectation of improvement. Undefined ceiling. Exactly. And how, well, if this guy can score at this rate at this age, what's he going to do when he's 25 or whatever? And, you know, you just hope that that
1: continues, that positive uh, progression continues in the right direction. And I know it's a bit of a tired phrase, but Development is not linear. Progression is not linear. You know, it's like you will sometimes take a dip before you go back up again. Yep. And it's a challenge is the adjustments you part have of, to make.
3: Part of
0: it is a realization of, oh, that didn't work. I, I, need, I need a correction because I,
1: I'm too far one way or the other. And for me, this is not really an, an indictment on the players themselves. Sure, they can get better. And there's certain things they can do better. I still have a lot of faith in both guys, especially Brock Besser, because his talent level is still higher than what his level of play has been, at least recently. But it comes down to a cultural thing, and I mean that by what you mentioned. Bad organizations tend to stay bad, and it's harder for them to get out of it. And in reality, the Canucks have not been a good organization the past few years. They've drafted well the last three years, getting Pedersen, getting Quinn Hughes, put Colson as promised. We just mentioned Bester. That was a great pick later in the first round. They have other players who are coming up, so they've done well as far as drafting goes, outside of a couple other high picks which haven't panned out the way they want. There's some good to talk about. But that culture of losing does affect things. So when I hear people say, well, you got to wait another two or three years before you get better again, it's like what you're really saying is be a bad organization for three more years. And what kind of effect does that have on the rest of the team? Like that's not a good environment. And culturally things have to change. And part of that is roster construction. They've done better moves recently. But if you look at the lineup in, in totality, Alex, there's a lot of money spent on guys not producing and guys not playing. And it's hard to be a great team when you're spending 15 to 20 million on players who are barely playing or not playing at all well you know I I know part
0: of this is Brandon Sutter just getting back into the mix and God play but I, I look at the lineup against Montreal the other night and like you've got Beagle and Sutter on the fourth line like that's how much money is
1: that like that's seven and a half million almost. yeah like
0: that's and and this is nothing against these guys like I I like them both there there's value to what they do Um, does it match the the money on a team that's up against the cap? I don't know, but that's, that's part of the management of it all. But you look at the, you look at the cap situation and you look at, I think, I think that's what scares a lot of people too, is because they are, they're really constrained by the cap, the contracts they have sort of where they're at it. There's no flexibility. So when you don't have that flexibility, you don't have that optimism of okay if the Canucks are in a decent spot they can they can do something to improve their lot they, they're really they really hamstrung in in season especially to make any moves and try to make some changes and additions because they will never have the leverage of of space of cap space right and that in, instead it's the opposite they have that working against them where teams can almost leverage that need to get out of the cap situation in order to to try and sort of you know win the win the deal on the other team's side but I, I look at it and, and, uh, I was, I was, when you talk about the culture and you talk about, um, you know, losing, creeping in and sort of becoming the way the norm, I was talking to a junior hockey owner, um, uh, last week. And so for them, it's even more important, right? Because you can't miss on a draft in junior hockey or else that, that, me- that messes like a generation. So if you think of like a three or four year cycle, but if you are in a downswing and if you are in a, uh point in your development or your your rebuild or whatever you call it in junior hockey where you're down you have some really good young players who are 16 17 who aren't right quite ready to be main contributors for your team the older players you surround them with are so important because you only get a couple 20 year olds you can't have guys that are jerks that are just like ripping these young kids you got to have the right nurturing environment and all these things and it's like that at the pro level just you do have a little bit more time but the problem is is that it almost it almost allows you to be too patient in a way. And and I've been someone who's been preaching patience for years with this with this group because you could see the high end prospects coming. But you're right. If you wait too long, you end up you end up wasting some good players' prime years, their cheap years, however it works, you also run the risk of of corrupting the player a little bit just. You normalize losing. Exactly. The the player loses their fire and their, their fact that they're pissed off every time they lose, because how, how can you not, you'd go, you'd go crazy if you were someone who'd only ever won in your life and you go to the NHL in your first six years, all you do is miss the playoffs. If you didn't become at least somewhat satisfied with that, like you'd lose your mind. Like it's, it's a really difficult thing to work. So you have to find a way to break that and break out of that mold and out of that habit.
1: And that's kind of where the Canucks are at, because right now there's a lot of discussion around management. Jim Benning, who's been here for a long time now, and also head coach Travis Green. And I have a hard time accepting that Travis Green should be fired, because this is the first year we're supposed to evaluate him with a better roster. And that roster still, as we just mentioned, is not being optimized fully. So I have a hard time looking at Travis Green and saying, this guy has to go because they're underachieving. Well. Yeah, they might be underachieving right now, based on where they should be, and they should probably be in that ninety-point range as a team. And right now, they're projecting to what outproduce last year by four or five points, which is not enough considering how much money they spent right. in free agency. It, what, should what be, they, it should be a big step. This should be a bigger step this yeah. season. But I still can't justify putting all the blame on Travis Green, regardless of how much he has improved or not. Because look at the roster. Like, is is this truly the team where you point the finger and say, "Hey"? you every dollar's being spent right ensure every team has one bad contract or whatever and here's your expectation to make something out of this team like you're putting it at a really high degree of difficulty and you got to give him a full season to see what he does with it and right now it's unfair to say Travis is the guy to go in in my view it's too, it's too soon to
0: to make a change like that like i in this season now at the end of the season you can step back and sort of assess things and look at it and and we I mean, we've been talking for a while. At the end of last year, we started talking about how next year, and especially going into the off season and what the Canucks did in, in the free agency and in you know around the draft with trades, and going into this year's training camp, we're like, all right, Travis Green's going to be going to be judged now based on it. It's a better team. It's not a perfect roster, but it's a better group. But I think you've got to give them the full season. You've got to let him let it you know see what happens. The one thing that I will say, and this is any coach, Travis Green could be the best coach in the world, at some point, the the message runs out in the room. And this is where, in my view, it's really difficult to comment on a coach and should a coach be changed, was it a good idea to fire them, whatever, because you're not in the room. You don't know. You don't know if he's lost the room. You don't know what management knows is going on or isn't going on. Like There's all of these things that we're just frankly not privy to but from the outside from my seat right now it's like you got to give them more time because there has been some good when the team has been healthy there was some success and you look at it and you're like okay well, we're still trying to figure out what they are if we absolutely knew what this team was and you could definitely say with with a pretty high degree of certainty that it was the coach that was the issue or yes the roster is not perfect but the coaching is so bad that we're we're probably sacrificing 10 points in the standings right now that's a different story. I don't know that you can say that with, with certainty. But at the same time, you know, you guys had Elliot Friedman on the program this week, and he talked about how this is now the first sort of season that Travis has a roster that at least somewhat resembles what he's been asking
2: for. The thing about Green is, like, I think Travis is a pretty good coach. I do. I think, you know, I think that if there's probably a bit of heat on him, it's because I think that this is the identity of the team he wanted. And for the first time, he really has a kind of deep team. I know the buzzword now is the hard skill team that he wanted. But I think 34 games, like, I mean, you can't, you can't judge on that. You can't judge on that. I think, like you know, you've got over half the season to go. I think to say, okay, this we've given Travis the team he wants, and then say after less than half a season, well, he's not doing the job. Like to me, that's crazy town. That's what that's what losers do. You you got to give him a lot more than thirty four games to see this. I, I I think it's craziness to say that he should be in trouble for the way this season's going so far.
0: So there is a level of accountability that comes with that, especially when ownership starts going down the ladder and asking. To, to the next person down the line. Well, what, what's what's up? Like, at the end of the day, as 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 good as guys as everyone can be, you're
1: still going to there's going to be some level of self preservation there. Both things are true. He's not put in a situation where he can optimize a roster because the, op- the roster construction is not optimal. But if a coach loses the room, regardless of it's his fault or not, because of the roster, yep. it's lost. It's over. You can't come back from that. Based on how they've played, though, and you're right, it's hard for us to say this on the outside, and as much access as we have, we're not in that locker room at all times. We're not in the players' heads. What I can see, though, is the effort was still there last night. What I was really keeping an eye on after that Vegas game, and hey, the Vegas game was terrible. There's no excusing it. You can make the excuse of thir- three games or four nights, back-to-backs on to the road. Vegas is great at home. They're a good team. It was just a really tough situation for them to be at their best, Right. regardless it wasn't a good performance. So how did they bounce back? The effort was there against Montreal. They came out hard. They played hard. They showed their fragility in the third period when Montreal scored a couple of goals. They kind of fell apart. Made a push late, but it wasn't enough. Is that a sign of a team that is tuning the coach out? To me, it's not. Yeah. To me, to me, it's
0: to me, it's a team that's still working through a lot of things. But it it gets people usually point to start poor starts as coaching. Um if the effort's still there, usually the team the coach still has the team's ear. If if the team is prepared, and this is something that we'll media will almost never know, how prepared is the team for the opponent? And and when I mean prepared, not like not were you awake did you have enough caffeine before the game but did <laughs> yeah. you, do you understand any game plan adjustments do you understand what this team's doing or is your is your penalty kill prepared for what that power play does most nights and you know all those sorts of things and those types of adjustments that to me is is the coach being prepared and and from everything I've seen and heard like this is a coaching staff that puts the work in and they're prepared and and the players should be getting that message and but there's always again it's a great coach or a great teacher could have a great student or a great athlete or a pupil and the dynamic, and they may not mesh. It doesn't mean either of them are bad. It just isn't the right fit. And that can happen with coaches and teams as well. That can happen over time as, as a coach loses the room or whatever it may be. And there are the times to make that decision, even if every if no one's at fault, it's just time and, and it's run its course. Because when it comes down to motivating people, um, sometimes a new message can be the right message almost no matter what it is because it's something fresh and it's something new and when we're talking about gar- trying to guard against this this level of frustration and the level of losing and the, and normalizing that environment sometimes that shake up is necessary but again i don't i don't view the canucks being in that position right now but i do think if this if this were to continue through the whole season then it's something in my view that
1: ownership and management are going to look at very seriously That's just something, the reality of sport, that happens, especially in hockey, and whether Travis deserves to be on the hot seat or not, if you can't make trades because it's hard for you to make deals because your cap situation, number one, number two, players that are hard to move, and number three, you spent a lot of assets already to acquire players. There isn't a lot that you want to trade out, and they're not willing to move out guys like put Coles in a hog liner. They're supposed to be the couple of prospects forward-wise that they want to use to help the team in a couple of years when they got to pay Pedersen more money, they got to pay Quinn Hughes more money. They need those guys for the future. So they're between a rock and a hard place, and if you want to make a change because a team all of a sudden has lost the faith in what they're doing and they're, they're on this bad stretch, the coach, fairly or unfairly, takes a brunt of it. They're not there yet, but the longer this losing continues, the more problems get created, whether they should be created or not.
0: Well, you're right, and and the other aspect I always look at when you when you go to make a coaching change is who you know what's the replacement and is, is that an improvement? And that I think now the the whole dynamic that surrounds coaches and hockey culture and is a very different discussion now than it was four weeks ago, and so you know the the first team you know what what is that going to be like that first team that hires a not an interim coach not not a team that relieves a coach and then just has a guy slide in as an intern but really a full on firing and a full on hiring. That'll be a different process now in terms of vetting. They've talked about that, how they're like, I just, I just think there's, that's a whole other dynamic at play here that we're, we're probably not even considering. And then it just popped into my head. It's like, there's something completely different. It's not just like, Oh, let's go get this other guy. It's like, I, I think teams are going to think longer and harder about whether that person, that individual is the right fit for this group. And there's,
1: there's almost even more at stake now because there's this whole other dynamic to consider. And the other thing to consider is reality versus expectation. We had Travis Green on the other day with on the program, and we got into a really good discussion about where he's at with the team, what they've been struggling through and trying to get through it. And he mentions reality versus expectation insofar as early in the season, they get off to this great start, and people think, okay, they might be a lot better than we think they are, but they're supposed to be in that playoff race. Now it's gone the other way.
3: Well, I like where we're, where our team is at in, in a lot of parts. You know, you look at it, we're I think I look today, we're 13th in goals for, we're 14th in goals against. We started the year off saying we wanted to score more and allow less. You know, I even talked to the media today about it. Quite easily, we could have won two of the last uh, three losses. Uh, The game in San Jose, you know, we outshoot a team, I think, 28 to 12 or something in the last two periods. You know, last night we we battled a hard-fought game. They get the two power play goals with... And we could have easily won these two games, and all of a sudden we're sitting in a wild card spot. And there's a totally different vibe around the team. And yeah, we didn't we didn't win the games, and, and we understand that. But the league is close, and, and uh, it's not always fair. The margin is small on wins and losses, and it can turn fast. And if we had played three games where I just didn't like all three of the games, it'd be a different. I'd probably have a different tone today. But I've got to make sure that. Our team has an understanding of where they're at, how they played, and continue to keep confidence in them, um, so they can win, you know, win games down the
1: road. How hard is it to navigate that whole reality versus expectation thing within a locker room itself? Well, it's difficult, and and again, it comes back on your
0: leadership a bit. It comes back on the ex- sort of the experience of everybody. The I always found that if someone could speak up who had been through something before and it turned out positively it was something you could almost hang your hat on and be like all right that that provides optimism that provides some positivity uh which then helps lend itself to confidence and so you you want to you want to have those discussions and but it also you can see how quickly it can change and and i think that's the other aspect of this is that it, in the nhl today things can change so quickly and you you see teams go on some pretty bad slides and then bounce out of it. And, and I mean, you almost get sick of talking about the St. Louis blues last year and where they were at. And then the bounce back they had to ultimately win the Stanley cup. Now I don't, you can't expect a team to do that every year and that, that, that'll be a story each and every season, but there are lots of stories throughout the history of sport of teams that figure it out. And once you figure it out, it's amazing how that can snowball that direction as well. And to me, those are the types of discussions like those. So the one you had with Travis green and when a general manager and owner talks to the coach and they can they can lay out sort of the progress the steps how they're sort of back channeling it to to drive home a message all of those things that we don't have any access to you start to realize like oh okay like they're on to something and this isn't the coach's fault or this guy's got no clue what he's talking about like this doesn't make any sense and that type of information is should be where ownership and management make these types of decisions from because it's about believing in
1: whether that message is
0: is actually the right message and whether it's being received properly.
1: Have you been in a locker room when all of a sudden the coach's message stops mattering and like you, he gets tuned out? Like, what process is it to get to that point? Like, what do you see? Like, how does it devolve? Well, yes, I have. I, I've so I feel like I'd only ever had
0: uh, a coach fired in season once, but you you sometimes when they're fired in the off season you. You know that the message isn't being heard anymore. Going into you know the last couple of weeks or whatever it may be, but at the end of the day, it it the vet, the veterans and like the the important offensive players they matter a lot because they are ultimately the ones that drive the bus. And if they tune out a coach, then all bets are off. If Especially, it's one thing if it's like one disgruntled star, but if you've got a group, like if your whole top line all of a sudden is, this guy's a joke. Like, mm. I'm not listening to this anymore. Or you've, you have, uh, I've, I've heard of, this This wasn't a team I played on, but I heard of a team that actually had a really good run in the playoffs who basically, they held their own meetings after every meeting and said, no, 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 no. Coach doesn't know what he's talking about. This is what we're going to do. And they made it all the way to the conference final.
1: But the leadership like group that. was strong enough. The leadership enough. group was
0: strong enough. But, But the coaching, the the coach had lost the room, right? But they were able to find a way to make it work for that year. The next year they were okay. And then by the halfway through the next season, everyone was gone. And so you, you, you see these things happen. And and part of it is the leadership. Part of it is having some experience of players who've been through these things, players who've had success. Um, Now that isn't necessarily like the the great recommendation, like basically have a plan a coup against your coach and have a mutiny you know what i mean but it worked for that team that year but yeah I've, I've seen it it's it's basically the when the coach starts And this is the other thing when the coach starts realizing that he's not being heard and he starts panicking and just it's almost like every day he comes in and just like throws a new no new dart at the dartboard just hoping and it's like oh all right it hits uh 16 what and he looks in his book oh this is my my tactic for today and it's based on nothing other than just like randomness and hope
1: and to me that that's the ultimate sign that the coach has lost the room well hopefully the Canucks aren't at that point because it just means worse things for the team as, as the season goes on I will continue this discussion on the Canucks pod Alex all sat to shot here on sports on 650 and we'll get to goaltending and yeah a big trade in the division really big trade really big trade yeah. right here on sports on 650.
2: Oddshark.net is your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content, and detailed matchup picks. Looking for statistics and trends from an upcoming game? Oddshark.net has that too. And it's free. It's
1: free. Expert in-depth analysis, stats, numbers, and trends to help you make the sharp game day
2: picks. Whether you want to get in on the football action, tonight's baseball game, or anything in between, head over to oddshark.net and start playing like a shark shark today. today. This is not a gambling site.
1: Welcome back to the Canucks pod. And all the before we get into Taylor Hall with the Arizona Coyotes and what that means for the balance of power in the Pacific Division, Jacob Markstrom is being relied upon heavily right now. With Thatcher Demko out, he started his fourth game in six nights, including two on the road back-to-back nights. And yeah, a lot of home games right now, some breaks in between games, the holiday breaks coming up as well during Christmas. But how concerning should the burnout factor be with Marky? It's really concerning to me, unless they know
0: Demko's around the corner, which I haven't heard anything to, to say that he is. And even if even if they thought Demko was close, I think they the Canucks have enough history with concussions and realizing that it's very unpredictable. And especially when you look at this player, I mean, the, the concussion he suffered last year at the end of training camp wasn't supposed to be a big deal. And it was like two months that he was out. So I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but what I do believe is happening is the Canucks are being very cautious. So let's assume Demko's out for the foreseeable future. The Canucks should be a little bit concerned. There's this. There will be a temptation because the Canucks don't play. I don't think they play back-to-backs until into March. They only have three sets of back-to-backs left the entire season. It's actually three consecutive weeks basically to end the season almost. But there, with that comes a temptation to almost say, "Oh well, it won't be overtaxing then." It, it, you know, you can play him and and you can have uh, these situations where you know this he can handle it, but it's risky because we've seen time and time again um, whether it's any goaltender, but Jacob Markstrom specifically, like when he's overused, his play dips, when he doesn't have those chances to, to have the practice time and the reset, and it's the mental grind as well. And the that's the other thing we can't even begin to comprehend is the additional mental toll that this season has taken with the, his, his family tragedy and everything that's gone on in his personal life, that, that makes things even more difficult.
1: And one of the things that we know about Markstrom is when he gets some extra time off, he can work with Ian Clark. Yep. And well, he wasn't at practice on Wednesday because maintenance day, he needs a maintenance day. And how can... How much trouble can he get into if he doesn't get that extra time he needs with Ian Clark because he's got to get extra rest because he's being relied upon so much more. So all those factors that help Markstrom be the best version of himself are not there for him. It'll be tested. It, it's
0: really going to be tested here in this next little stretch. Um, we've, I have seen improvements in Markstrom needing less of that as he's been with Ian Clark longer but at the same time you can't go completely away from those tune-ups that work is really important that that is one of the biggest uh so the, the year I played a lot of hockey here in Vancouver um that was one of the most difficult things so in the first month and a half of the season and and even like even in my entire minor league career I never really was this undisputed starting goalie where I played every night and and especially since almost every one of those seasons except the lockout year I was I spent considerable time in Vancouver each year. So even if I was playing a lot, there were also these, you know, 3-4 week stretches where I was up as the backup with the Canucks. You really get used to that regular goalie coaching work. Then all of a sudden I had to Dan Cluchek gets hurt and I'm playing every night. Managing the rest and the work you need is so difficult because there's some days you don't even you can't even get out of bed. Like you're so tired. And I can't even explain how how fatiguing it is. Yet you it normalizes in your body. You get used to it, but you're not optimizing anything about your about your day because you're not optimizing your rest. You're not optimizing your work because you're only kind of you're sort of half assing it out there because you don't like you you want to have energy for the next night and you're, you're trying to survive. You're try, exactly, and that that's the thing. You're not optimizing and you're not thriving. You're basically surviving, and that's no way to play goal in the best you know in the National Hockey League. That doesn't work. So. It is it is something they have to manage. I will say this though they're they're equipped with a more mature Jacob Markstrom than you know a couple of years ago. You're also equipped with Ian Clark, who's who's dealt with a number of really high end work ho- workhorse goalies. And I'm not talking about me in that one season. Like, you know Roberto Luongo, Sergei Bobrovsky, like he was able to manage the rest, of the work, and and have really good seasons from those guys. But it it will be a challenge. So. You know, I'm I'm concerned to see how the Canucks manage it. Uh, you know, at some point, you and I have talked about this a couple times too. Do you do you just I don't want to say throw away a game to to Mike Pietro, but do you do you throw him a game to see what comes of it, knowing that even if it goes poorly, the payoff is in Mar- uh, uh, a more fresh and recovered Jacob
1: Markstrom? And it's harder to do that because you're not winning games. Like right. this is exactly. what happens when you don't win and you get on this bad run, whether it's fair or unfair. The league is indifferent. It, it's just like Mother Nature. It's indifferent to your feelings and how, what you're doing. It's going to do what it's going to do, and that's the National Hockey League to some extent. It's a tough league. You can play your ass off all you want. The bounces may not go your way. You may be on a tough stretch, but the reality of that tough stretch is it makes it harder for you to recover. And the less likely it is for you to recover, the less likely it is for the coach to look at the big picture and say, yeah, let's just punt this game because we need it for the other 40 games, but they haven't they haven't banked enough points. Well, and the other thing is you'd, you'd like— I mentioned you don't have the back-to-back. So you,
0: back-to-back, no one would even question a decision by, by Travis Green to play DiPietro. You'd be like, oh, oh yeah. Oh, well, uh, math, math now says that you don't play goalies back-to-back. So it's almost like a coach gets ripped when he does, like instead of the opposite. And so then you look at it and you say, well, we don't have these back-to-backs. And I'm not saying Travis Green isn't doing it because he doesn't want to be questioned on it. But you're like, wow, can we? Can we eke this out? Can can Marky keep it going? Or he's and and you get caught in this constant battle of these two things with goaltending. Oh, he's really rolling. Let's keep him going. Or man, he's struggling. Let's try and get him back. And it's 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 which ultimately just wants you to play the same guy over and over again, which doesn't work over time. You you need to have that rest. You need to have that recovery. And you need to have that goalie coach work. The goalie specific work is so important. And we've seen it time and time again with Markstrom. Whenever he's had those little resets, he's come back better than before. And so, at some point here, the Canucks should look at a game and say, "Hey, you know." And, and I thought that's why getting DiPietro into the third period in Vegas was was important. It wasn't just a mercy hook, although that's part of it. Like I, I don't think that you can pin that game on Markstrom, but at the same time, Markstrom does have the ability to steal you points, and. The more rested he is, the more points he has is capable of stealing you. So there's a balance there. But also getting DiPietro in that game so the next time he plays in the National Hockey League, his most recent memory isn't getting blown out at home in his debut. It's it's something positive. And I thought he, you know, he gave up the one goal, but he, he made some really good saves in that game. And you could tell he looked confident and composed. And you don't have that pressure going into a game like that. You can just go out and play. And those are those are good sort of freebie games to get young goalies early. Just late in a game, get them in there, and you also give your your other your starter a little bit of rest in game,
1: just where it can just ease the load a bit. Before we wrap up this week's edition of the Canucks Pod, Alex with Satyar Shaw, Arizona Coyotes made a huge deal acquiring Taylor Hall, getting some returns already. And I was he's, shocked that that they're yeah. the team that made that move. Yeah. I'm just shocked that the Coyotes are a player
0: yeah. like. You know, it, it, I like it. I like it for the game. Um, when I joined you and Beck on the program earlier this week, I kind of equated it to Columbus and what they did last year at the deadline. Like a team you're not used to seeing sort of go all in or, or be be a mover and shake or do something positive to help their lot. And we're used to almost the opposite out of the Coyotes. It's like, all right, we, we gave it a good try. Let's sell these guys. Instead, it's the opposite. So I, I like that. When you look at it from the Pacific Division, though, this – I don't know that it, it doesn't, it's not a, uh, Arizona was already good. So I don't know that it completely changes things, but it legitimizes Arizona as a contender and it just boosts them up because it's what they needed. They needed offense.
1: And unlike Columbus, where they already had a couple of guys on the way out the door, yeah. like Panarin and Bobrovsky, they essentially said, we're not coming back. And hey, they want play playoff round, and, and they probably deserve some better luck as well, and they could have gone deeper than they did. They ended up having a pretty good team in the end. But this isn't the same situation in Arizona. So all of a sudden, all those guys who've been on this team for so many years— The level of excitement they must feel about hey not only is the team good now we add taylor hall this team believes in us like i would have to imagine being in that locker room there's a huge confidence boost to every single player and that might be short term but if you have success short term when you have that confidence boost you know how much confidence can grow like they could really get on a roll here and Maybe one of the things that isn't talked about enough is the mental and psychological impact of a positive addition like that for that franchise for the players in the room. Well, we just spent a lot of time talking about
0: you know poor organizations, losing cultures. So I mean, that's that's a shining example of that, right? Like in, in, in Arizona. This is this is a big step by ownership too, and by management to say, hey, like this is it's different now. This is this is the way we're gonna operate. And so for a number of those players who've been there a while or anyone who's new to it, it's that that's a big step as well and and that's can only be a positive for that team going forward. And you're right. I mean the the players must have been absolutely pumped when they found out about the deal and and to bring in. A, this isn't just like a good player. Like he's there's there's question marks about can can Taylor Hall be a winner? There's question marks about every player until they ultimately end up winning if they can be a winner or not. Doesn't it's, it doesn't mean he's a bad player or a bad person. He's a heart trophy winner. Like to be able to make that type of addition in season when you're already a good team, and they are a very good defensive team. They can lock it down with the best of them. This is this is a really really significant step for the Coyotes. Not just this season, but I think long term for their future in the Valley and and the way they're going to conduct business. And I hope this is a sign of things to come. And they can they can make something of this I hope this isn't just one of those oh remember when the cute coyotes did mm-hmm. that it was funny right no
1: I hope this is something that actually helps them take a step and as much as the Columbus example makes sense because that's what happened last year because of the slight differences in the players and players exiting this reminded me more of when the national predators went on and got Peter Forsberg yeah and it didn't lead to them winning a cup but it was their signal of saying hey we're big time players and from that point on they make the playoffs every year they get to a cup final many years later but it was the start of hey we got to take the preds seriously they are a serious organization well, they're not kids anymore that's a that's a great example and and what
0: that signified to everybody was this is no longer a team that's going to nickel and dime it and try to just get by on some good d prospects and playing really tight defense they're actually that was a significant step for the Nashville Predators in terms of being being a legitimate team being an NHL organization and and yeah, there's, there's been a lot of other good things that have gone on in Nashville since then, but you can look back at that sort of era and that time of David Poyle sort of taking a step in terms of the way he was going to conduct
1: business, and things have been really positive since then. Uh, can the Coyotes replicate that? I mean... Time will tell, but it is a very exciting move for that organization, its fans, and also the players on the team. Well, Aldi, that wraps up this week's edition of the Canucks Pod. We won't be back next week because there's some holidays coming up. It is Christmas, so Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's to to you and your family, Aldi, to everybody listening as well. But uh, we thank you for all your support here on the Canucks Pod. Rate, review, subscribe, all of the above. Reduce, reuse, recycle. That too. That's really good too. So uh, what do you got planned coming up next week?
0: Getting out of here, man. I know. A little family time in uh, in Calgary,
1: and then uh, more family time in Cabo. Well, it's going to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'll i be in town, because uh, I'll still be working some Canucks games just by some and time. And watching off. the dog. And I'll have yeah. Louie. You're dog sitting. I know. So, I'm very excited about this. So I can this. travel the globe. Yeah. you know That's how yeah. we do. You know, I, I t- We take care of each other how we here on the Canucks spot. That's how mm-hmm. we do. All right. right, buddy. Enjoy your holidays. Oh,
0: you take care of me.
1: <laughs> you take care of my dog Do I take care of you?
0: I don't know I don't know Hey I'm what's good. the You know that Hawaiian Christmas carol Which one? I don't know It's like Mali something. Oh yeah like yeah that. I've heard, I mean I couldn't I can't recite it for you So Christmas 2005 Team party Canucks party At Jovo Cop's house Oh And all the old Classic Christmas carols Are playing And then that comes on While we're in Jovo Cop's wine cellar yeah, He had his own wine cellar <laughs> Dug out of the mountain In West Van and I started thinking about the and words, and I, I came up with my own version. What is it? Say. Merrick Malik likes vodka stoli. Absolute. <laughs> <Have> <laughs>
3: that was his I will. will.
0: I no, it wasn't. But it just like it's <laughs> my make like I don't know. And I'm just like it sounds like Merrick. I'm like, does that say Merrick Malik? Is this about him? <laughs> anyway. Happy uh, holidays.
1: How did Merrick t- Mer- take that? I don't even know if he was still on the team. No, no. I don't think he was. Well, no, that's right. I mean, yeah, he got traded. No, he was in he New York. That agent. was the Statue of Liberty year. Yeah, yeah. He it was he left first free year of the agent. shootout. Yeah, I think he left yeah. as a free agent. He,
0: actually, that wasn't the Statue of Liberty torch. Uh-huh. It was the
1: uh, Red Bull and vodka. He was that's toasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose uh, the final sign of Merrick Malik was that faithful moment, Game 7. Martin Jelena muscling him out for the puck to score on the power play.
0: I didn't know that. He was even on the ice. Yeah, All just I remember blanked. was Jelly and I... And- Martin and another obscure fan voted Canucks MVP.
1: But you were like, you were the best player on the team that year. Man, that's sad. <laughs> well, there's a reason they missed the playoffs.
0: No, Nazi still had a good year. Net that's the thing. Goals. Is, yeah, but that's the thing is like he was so good before yeah. that even just a slight regression, I was like, oh, let's give it to this bald kid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll see your answer, Carter got hot. Sadines had a decent season as well.
0: Yeah, they were on the uptick. AC and- Carter, he was doing his thing, but there's just something about that lovable kid from T-Bay.
1: Yeah, you know, it took over. All right. Well, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and Happy New Year. Merrick Malik likes vodka, Stoli, absolute. Oh, too good.